Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact, written by Ralts Bloodthorn, which is available on both Royal Road and HFY. The links for them will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. First Contact, Chapter 50 the evening was cool, slightly chilly and damp. The rain pattered down through the trees. Starleaf oaks, sector spruce, and western red cedar, blue oak, Douglas fir, and the western hemlock hemmed off the small clearing that rain drizzled down through the canopy. The trees were all thick trunks, high branches, water-filled holes covered in moss and vines. Ferns covered in the ground, shining with the pattering of water falling from the sky. A creek burbled over the moss-covered grey rocks, little fish moving around the slow, wider spots and tumbled on its way to the ocean. Up in the branches, a little creature swung, dimly happy, moving from branch to branch with strong tentacles backed up by claw-scented suckers. Its toppled brown and green shifted pattern as it moved, the rings on the tentacles and around its eyes were dark blue, almost black, as it let go of the branch and on to catch to the next, swinging back and forth. Hidden in the trees and ferns were two large bipede freakiers of three meters tall, covered in shaggy hair with flat brownish faces, large eyes, large hands, bigger feet. They stood motionless, almost hidden by the vines and the tree trunks, looking over the strange creature in the middle of the glade. Sitting below on a rock was a gold mantis roughly three feet tall when she stood up. She had on a little hat, known as a beret, between her antennae, behind her compound eyes. At the back of her triangular head were cyphonetic implants, shiny chrome, with lights that blinked and changed colors. She had four arms, the top two and them bladed and from the wrist down, the lower two ending in six-fingered hands with opposable thumbs on each side of the hand. She wore a black, real leather jacket, me of the terror itself, with chrome link chains and spikes on it and the buttons made of steel. Over her abdomen, she had a colorful blanket full of triangles, making up a geometric pattern including one that looked like bears and eagles and wolves. She had the omni-translator around her neck on the beaded chain and a bluish gold from a place called Black Hills, North Dakota, which she was using one of her blade arms to toy with as she read from the scroll in her hands. The scroll was more modern than its looks would make one believe. It looked like a brownish papyrus with black metal engraving caps on each end of the two rolls and a gold tassel on the caps. The part that she was viewing was a flexible LED screen, allowing her to look over important documents as she sat in her favorite spot in her favorite EVR sim, dressed in clothing that made her feel indulgent going over the day's work. A broken, woolly snail shell fell from the tree branches, landing in the creek, and she felt a flutter of pleasure that Mr. Rings had found one of the treats that she had hidden to encourage him to exercise. The current document that she was reading was yet another complaint regarding the Terran Confederate Space Force that was neatly summed up as, You can't do that, which was accompanied by a second greatest hit, Stop doing that. Her meal time was three hours past. The time taken up by meetings just repeated the complaints that landed in her inbox. 
She reached down in the ink pot and flat rock next to her, picked up a paintbrush and painted her initials on the document. She carefully put the paintbrush back and then rolled the scroll, bringing up the next document. Stop doing that! She sighed to herself and felt Mr. Ring's tingle of pleasure. He found another Pacific Northwest woody snail. Not synth, not fake, but real ones shipped with great expense of raised in spatial outhouses as treats for people who owned Pacific Northwest tree octopi to feed their beloved pets. Another delicate painting of her initials set down the brush, rolled the scroll. You can't do that. She sighed again as Mr. Rings climbed down to the bowl and dunked himself inside, swirling around to wet his skin, then peeked out. He was unaware that the entire thing but his nesting tree, his climbing tree, the snails, his mistress, and the two Sasquatches were all hardline holograms and expensive EBR recordings by some dedicated being who'd spent hundreds of hours recording that very spot. All he cared about was the yummy treats, branches to swing on and bowls to hide in, and a mistress to pet him. Dream of something more envied him a little. Her implant tingled to let her know that there was someone at the door. She felt better now that the Terran Navy had installed heavier psychic shielding in her quarters. Something about the Langtalan bugged her to turn the comedic phrase that always made her smile. She didn't know what it was. Maybe it was the way they just seemed like they should be jogging into a Terran slaughterhouse to be made into a Burger Kingdom traditional beef patties for the Firewater, Firearm or Fireworks Day celebrations. She'd seen her once, you know. She had gone to the Burger Kingdom, aka North America, to see the slaughterhouses, and they were rare in the galaxy where most people would just eat synthetics. Not the Terrans. Oh no, they wanted meat. Craved it. She watched the whole process, fascinated, as cattle were slaughtered and prepared in the traditional Burger Kingdom way right down to the firing off of the ancient projectile weapons while drinking alcohol and slapping the still-bleeding ground meat onto a metal grill over actual fire with one of Bear's hand. She'd done it just to try. The meal had been delicious. She had never told her fellow diplomats, except the Mantids, just how much she enjoyed the entire vacation. From Bongastan to Uragunia, to Anime Land, to Vodkaville, to Burger Kingdom, all painstakingly recreated from ancient pre-Solnet electronic cloud storage. She knew that there was still an argument over what had been real and what had been some kind of strange joke or hoax. But to her, the whole thing was amazing. She even had gone to an ancient ritual where gigantic combat robots designed to look like ancient Burger Kingdom rulers shouted almost forgotten campaign slogans as they fought one another in the hayfield of the cheering crowd. The winner was blown up and Dollary Dew's rectangular cloth paper, intricately done in green ink, rained from the sky and everyone laughed. She'd reached out her hand and caught a button that flashed. I liked Ike when she tilted it, she pinned it on a beret and the dolly reduced rain down. It was amazing. She found the Terrans wildly confusing but so much fun to be around. At times, she had been forced to use her psychic inhibitor, not because she might accidentally brush someone's mind, but from the sheer violent glee and overwhelming joy that the Terrans exuded in every moment. 
dreams of something more, had even learned the ancient art of Eurogoon stuffed crust ballroom dancing, vodka vol squat kick and fall dancing, burger clatter square barn dancing, and lit fire bass beat hip hop dancing. She was secretly proud of her ability to imitate the mechanical mentor on the dance floor. The chime sounded against and she giggled at the thought of performing the traditional dancing android moves to greet the guest, but she wasn't sure there would be a unified humor council or not. She turned down the rain and wind, rolled up the scroll and set it beside the paintbrush with a little palette of paint and then sighed again and unlocked the door. It was past duty hours. She was hungry. Dreams of something more almost groaned when she saw it was the Langtalan, mournful-looking, wearing a cloth wrapped around its body, a sash covered with glittering metals across its torso, its six eyes blinking, and four legs, four arms sentient goggled at the room. Mr. Rings climbed down, a furry snail in his tentacle, and hid in the bowler in the nearest tree, pulling the lid closed after him. The Langtalan blew saliva and shook his jowls in the forest scene around him. What is this? it demanded. Dreams felt her implosion wired tingle as the thought of dropping from a tree branch, landing on the Langtalan's back and cracking open his brain case, then preparing a traditional Terran meal of two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and sesame seed bun, while screeching out the Terran hunter traditional war cry. Where's the beef? It's a relaxation hologram, hard light, and 64K resolution Tri-D with advanced EVR, Dreams told the male Langtalan. What are those? He asked, pointing at the two big feet with shaking hand. Pacific Northwest Sasquatch, kind and gentle creatures that prefer a diet of beef jerky and rainer beef, which they brew in the tree stumps. They're harmless unless provoked by malicious pranksters. Dream said. In reality, they're actually my warborg gods beneath a hard light construction to maintain the illusion. They smell disgusting, Langtalan said, blowing saliva out of his jowls. Dreams was a fastidious female by nature, and something about the way the Langtalan just blew saliva or spit out, chewed on cud on the floor disgusted her. Still, decades of political statesmanship allowed her to keep her disgust from showing. It looked at her. What are the ridiculous garb you're wearing? Says the cow in a wrap and sash, Dreams thought to herself. It's the traditional garb of the Terran Burgerland politicians from the 20th century. Pre-Dysporia, she said. She reached down and picked up two objects from under the ferns from her grasping hands. One was a chrome chain made of pin-connected links, and the other was a knife handle with a chrome button. They went door to door like this and rewarded voters for their votes with money, alcohol, and pornography. She pressed the button and the sharp blade popped out. They also stabbed people who voted for other candidates as a friendly, disapproving gesture. She looked at the chain and fought against other politicians in donor cycle chain fights behind eating facilities, entertainment centers, or in the parking lots on ground cars. They also danced a lot while their supporters hit the other politicians' supporters with signs. It hardly looks dignified, the talking cow said. Dreams was thinking about the delicious, delicious traditional Terran meal. Her implosion wired tinkling and she pushed the thought away, promising herself she'd gorge on the flame-seared meat later. What's the problem, if I may ask? Dreams asked. She queried her implant. Third high most of the Unified Military Council, her implant warned. 
Ah, nuts, she thought to herself. Your vaunted military forces refuse to accept proper command hierarchy and submit themselves to the authority of the Unified Military Council, it spluttered. Mr. Rings peeked out curiously, barely showing his eyes from between the round wood of the bowler and the moss-covered wooden hatch. Where, in our office support against the precursors, did the government of the Terran Confederacy state that we would turn our forces over to your command? Dreams asked mildly. She felt Mr. Rings' curiosity and kept one tenor on him. The last thing she needed was for Mr. Rings to mistake the bloviating fool for a deer. The tree octopi could live for months on seasoned deer meat. He snorted and snuffled, and Dreams knew that he was looking over the 16,000-page document, written entirely in Terran legalese. I will wait, Dreams said, slowly swinging the chain back and forth like she was seeing the politicians in the Terran historical tripods do. It had a calming effect on her, feeling the heavy durochrome chain swing, the weight of it, the way the pin-connected links moved, the faint feel of the light hair grease on it. The question of who has command over the military forces facing the precursors must be answered, the Langtalan insisted. How about you show me the mil-spec vehicle, then we'll talk, Dreams thought to herself. As per Terran Confederacy Military Uniform Code of Justice, Terran forces are commanded solely by Terran Confederacy military officers duly appointed to such duties. While Terran military forces may work jointly with other governments or species, command is always held by the highest-ranking Terran military armed service member. She pinged the lawyer and waited a second. The Langtalan's knees buckled and its eyes crossed as the appropriate legal codes, case documentation, case precedents, and legal arguments crossed from the cyber barristers to his email and to his implant. The Langtalan gave a low, mooing noise of pain as the data link heated up. Finally, he looked up, its knees shaking. My office will look over this, he said. I'll be back. Is that a threat? Dreams wondered. He turned around and trotted out, negligently spitting the chewing up plastic strings and consumed synth cut on the floor. A robot scooted out and grabbed it, disappearing after disinfecting the floor. Dreams felt like a carapace was prickling up and the synth cut splattered on her immaculate floor. She had just opened the menu of what were the dining facilities that delivered to the Unified Council Center had to offer when her door chime opened again. She sighed, closing the app, Mr. Ring's head in the bolo again, munching on a piece of Pacific Northwest woolly salmon-smoked treats. Another Langtalan, this one from the Unified Corporate Council, Dreams took note that this one was no second or third stringer. This was the most high. He looked outraged at the simulation around her. Turn this off at once, he demanded. Make me. Dreams gave out the traditional Terran counteroffer, swinging the chain and holding up a knife handle. If the ancient Terran politicians could do it, so could she, as she was representing the Terran Confederacy. Her implosion wire didn't even tingle. The Langtalan jerked back slightly, then clomped into the room, daintily moving around the rocks and the moss. It settled down on the moss-covered rock and stared at her. I must object to your lawyers finding so many lawsuits, the Langtalan said. Dreams gave a human shrug. They have passed the legal tests and are registered barristers within all unified civilized systems, as well as non-aligned territories. Object away. They are filing lawsuits on behalf of people who cannot be allowed to file. The being loud. Again, the mantid shrugged. According to your legal system, anyone is allowed to file with proper representation. 
The barristers do indeed qualify. They are disrupting the natural process. They cried out. That falls under the Terran's call, not my problem. Dream said she knew she was being undiplomatic, but she was getting extremely hungry and the big doofy cow-looking thing was blowing saliva in her vid scroll. You will rue the day, the Langtelin said, standing up. It clattered to the door, only tripping twice before it was gone. Dreams checked her translation. Yes, the Most High of the Unified Corporate Council had actually said rue to her. She giggled and operated her food app. As she waited, she checked her timer and fed Mr. Rings another woody trout treat, then gently stroked his head. He was nervous after the Langtelana shouted, his rings bright blue, flush with neurotoxin. It's okay, Mr. Rings. Mommy made the bad cow go away. She clicked to it. She sighed, checking her appointment calendar. Six meetings, two council sessions, and three appointments were all slated for tomorrow. She regretted to do it, but the Langtelan ambassadors and council beings kept interrupting her constantly in what she suspected was some form of dominance games. She triggered by appointment only and waited for her food, holding Mr. Rings on her lap and petting her cool, wet skin. When this is over, I'm going to take a long vacation. Maybe go see hate anvils of Mars and the wrath forges of Mercury, she thought to herself. She changed her clothing into a comfortable four-armed kimono from the ancient empire of corporate Japan, LLC. Swapped out her beret for a hat made of carefully crinkled foil to let people know that she wasn't interested in opinions or thoughts or conspiracies or diplomacy, and settled back down, rolling up the scroll and tucking her tools into a hidden drawer. The door signal chimed and the RFID system showing that it was a food delivery. She triggered the door and the Langtelan came in, holding four containers of food. It looked at her, looked around and then at her again. Tasty stuff, Pakaruguru, food delivery for dreams for something more, it asked. I am she, dreams said. She should have been surprised, she should have, but she didn't even twitch an eyebrow as the Langtelan dropped her food, jammed her hand into a pouch and squealed in pain as it cut the wrong thumb and bent backwards and tried again with its thumb in its mouth. It yanked out the shield that disrupted pistol, raising it up. Death too started rumbling around its thumb and dropped the pistol. It hit a hard light boulder, caught the twig and went off, and hit the thumb-sucking Langtelan in the chin, blowing its head off all over the ceiling. Alarms didn't start waning, and Dreams looked around, tapping her antenna thoughtfully just above her own eyes. She did her best to hold back the snickering, but eventually she gave in and burst into a mantid equivalent of laughter. Interesting, wouldn't you say, Rack? Pinion? She asked when she got her laughter under control. No alert, Rack growled from behind her. No alarms, Pinion rumbled. Reconfigure dual protection, Dream said. Light anti-vehicle, anti-armor, point defense, and anti-personnel. Discreet and precision weapons only, boys. I mean you, Pinion, she chided. Yes, ma'am, they both said and went silent again. It was nearly twelve minutes until the alarm went off. Honestly, Dreams was glad the would-be assassin had spilled her food. Worse, his splattered brains were smelling better and better every minute. One of the lawyers brought her some of its meal. Raw, bloody meat soaked to the tears and wrapped in the paper detailing of defeat of arrival. The lawyer sat with her as the council lawsec went over her apartment and two menials carried out the body as three more stood on chairs to clean the brains and bones and flesh off a ceiling. 
Of course, they tried to bug her apartment, and of course, they were terrible at it. Mr. Rings found it and broke it open, hoping for a treat. Then he was huffy until dreams modified him with a woody touch treat. End of chapter. First Contact Chapter 51 Buxton had never seen a Terran before four days ago. To be perfectly honest, he'd never seen anything like a Terran before. Now he wished he'd never seen one, and was grateful that they were here. Four days earlier, the beeping woke Buxton from where he was sleeping between his wife and the two brood carriers. He frowned a moment, trying to figure out what the beeping was. It took him a moment. He was still sleepy, his brain fogged by exhaustion of working at the Corpsec building cleaning things. One of the brood carriers, her fur silky soft and her body warm, made a murmuring noise and turned over. He could see it, the comlink. He wasn't important enough to rate an implant, so he had a hand-carried flip-open comlink that only did voice and text. He ran a motorized buffer, buffing the hallways the overseers used to hide shine. Robots were reserved for the out-of-the-way places, and he privately suspected it was because how the overseers enjoyed the fact that he had to stand to the side and look down as they passed, where a robot just peeped at them until they moved. He was below a robot in ranking. Video was expensive and only reserved for those with a much higher ranking than he was. He opened up the comlink, display bright in the dark nesting room. On the screen was a single line of text. Report will work immediately. Sighing, he got up and moved to the clothing dispenser, printing out a paper jumpsuit with his name and corporate number on the back, as well as a pair of paper shoes and a pair of paper gloves. He was careful not to tear it. It cost an hour's pay, got dressed and left. He took public transport and noticed that every being on the grimy and creaking hoverboards was a corpsec jumpsuits. Everyone was yawning, rubbing their eyes, scrubbing their fur, stretching, whatever their species used to signify their tiredness. The hover bus was lit up and everyone looked around. The faint thrumming roar made the public transport vehicle vibrate. Vuxton looked out the window with them, curious at what would be landing so far from the port. It was an ugly, all black, only visible because of Scorpsec hover craft around it, shining lights on it. It was black, jagged looking, with no lights and other signifiers. It moved steadily, and Vuxton realized in a shock that it was setting down in the Corpsec parking lot. As he and everyone else in the bus watched landing gear deployed, crashing executive limousines underneath it, setting down with a long thrum. Overseers aren't going to be happy about that, a Frestalek with the name of Dutra on her jumpsuit said, her voice squeaky. Who would dare do such a thing? A winged, featherless, due to Corpsec regulations, Avian asked. Their species name was all clicks and chirps, most of them out of the Tulkan hearing of speech range, but Vuxton had taken to calling her a Kikiks. Someone more powerful, more important. Someone else guessed. The hovercraft still was circling. The time that Vuxton remembered putting down a food riot in one of the richer quarters a year or so before. They were armed, fast and capable of reducing an entire crowd to twitching nerve-stunned screams in a single pass. He'd cleaned the cells of those beings that had been put in. They'd been fined a week's pay, none of which went to paying for the six sets of jumpsuits he'd gone through. They fly like they are nervous chicks, Akik said, clacking her beak. Now that she mentioned it, Vuxton could see it. 
Everyone's phones beeped and they all flipped open at the same time and looked at them. Report to ship supervisors immediately. Buxton sighed, leaning back in his seat and waiting. The harbor bus wandering through its route and eventually arriving at the Minial's gates. He got out, got in an orderly line and waited to go through the security gate. At the gate, they took his apartment keycard, his ID card, his phone and gave him back an access card and a foldable paper phone. He filed in, walking through the grey halls, his feet whispering on the cool glass floor, the lights dim, going to the meeting, lunch, assembly, relaxation lounge with the others who worked in his section. There was close to a hundred beings in the room and Vuxton realized that every shift had been called in. The Langtelan overseer trotted in, his hooves clacking on the plaz. He stood at the front and called out, each being's name, marking that they were there on his data pad. He looked them over for a long time and then made a motion. Another Langtelan came into the room. This one was dressed in the black segmented sack armor, its eyes, nose and jowls hidden by a helmet of war. Corpsec was written on the chest and the flanks in six different languages, including Unified Civilized Systems Standard. Three others came in after him, all dressed the same. If I call your name, go stand to the side of the room and wait silently, it said. Buxton was one of the last ones called. The Langtelan just had him and the other thirty beings wait until he left. Then they were told to follow him. They followed him down the stairs, through a corridor and made of opaque plastic sheeting that Buxton could tell by the smells and plasticrete was an underground parking garage. More hallways, these brightly lit with metal walls, metal ceiling and the floors. They passed interrogation rooms and Buxton knew that the others were feeling as nervous as he was. They had all cleaned up blood, hair, teeth, scales, nails from those rooms. Finally, they got to the big room and were told to stand in line. Another Langtelan trotted in, followed by an automated trolley with black suits and helmets on it in all different types. The Langtelan went down the line of beings handing them proper suits and helmets. Vuxton noted that the armor all said Corpsec on the front and back with the same word on the back of the helmet. After that was boots and gloves. Put that on, the first one said. Take off your jumpsuits and fold them carefully. Take off your shoes and gloves. They all struggled into their suits, some needing help, until they all stood in a slightly shiny armor. Helmets on their head, heavy boots and thick gloves on their hands and feet. The next trolley had beat sticks, radios, cups and belts. They were told to put on the belts, but not to touch anything on them. Follow, the original Langtelan said, motioning to them. They all obediently followed, afraid to displease but confused. They were just janitors, menials, not corpsec. They didn't understand why they were dressed in armor. They filed out of the long hallway that was open on one side, a chest high on the Langtelan wall with a flat space set into things. Beyond the wall was a long open space with holograms of various kinds of beings. Each being was told to stand in one of the cubicles. Another Langtelan came by, handing Vuxton a heavy black rifle that he was told to put on the flat space. Then a black pistol and then two boxes. Vuxton did exactly as he was told. No more, no less. His knees were shaking. Langtelans, all heavy in black sack armor, moved up and stood behind each worker. At the sound of a whistle, they stepped forward. Pick up the rifle, the Langtelan behind Vuxton ordered. Vuxton did as he was told, picking it up. 
He fumbled it, and the Lankalan having to explain twice how to hold it. The first time he held it upside down, the second time he had it in the wrong place against his chest instead of his shoulder. He was instructed how to put the boxes into the bottom of the rifle, in and out several times before leaving it in. He was told to press the white button on the side. The rifle gave a slight twitch when there was a clacking humming of a solenoid-driven capacitor. Buxton didn't drop it, but others did. To Buxton's surprise, there was no yelling, no screaming of pain, no jaw-jiggling spittle-filled sights. He could tell the Langtelan was getting irritated by how he kept putting his hands on his heavy iron pistol. He tried extra hard to follow the directions. Leaning against the flat surface, he put his elbows on it, looking through the lens he pointed the weapon at the holographic figure, pressing the red button on the side of the rifle. The rifle chirped and the ruin for locked appeared on the lens. Press the red lever, the Langtelan behind him said, sounding slightly nervous. The rifle kicked hard, a sharp crack sounding out, something inside the helmet clamped painfully over his ears, muffling the sound. The number three appeared above his target. Keep doing that. One trigger pull every time you count to ten, the Langtland said. The overseer's voice was clear. Everyone was firing, spacing the shots out. Buxton was nervous. He couldn't see any reason to do this. The lens suddenly read empty, and the pulling the little lever on the hand grip didn't work. Little by little, everyone else stopped firing. Take that empty, stand aside against the wall, hold the weapon as instructed, the Langtelan told Buxton. Buxton did as he was told, holding the rifle with the barrel up on his left shoulder and the bottom of his rifle in his right hip. Then stand straight, all of you, the Langtelan said, or I'll send you all to mucking out the landfill. Everyone stood up straight, Buxton yawning inside the helmet, knowing nobody could see him. At least the helmet had stopped pinching his ears. Long minutes passed before the door at the end opened up as one of the overseers came back. As you can see, my men are trained and ready to defend the city, the Langtland said. Next to him was something that Buxton had never seen before. And he'd seen all the various species on the planet, cleaned up all of their bodily fluids and tissues. This one was new and dangerous looking. It was tall and slightly taller than a Langtland. Wide shoulders, thick arms and legs, and a neck as thick as a being's arms. It was bipedal, shaved hair on the top, on the head. A heavy-looking jaw, mechanical eyes, big ears, big nose. Vuxton could see a complex implant on the being's temple. It had an omni-translator on its ear and walked down the line. It was dressed in two-piece gray and white pattern of smaller, irregular blocks that seemed to shift and blur into the wall's appearance. His boots were black, and he had black gloves missing the fingers. Other overseers came out in their armor, their helmets off, their tendrils with tight with worry or fear. They are, huh? he asked. The human stopped in front of Vuxton and looked over all the beings against the wall. All right, he reached. Your rifle trooper, let me see it. Buxton looked up at the overseer, who nodded, and he handed it to the strange biped, almost dropping it. The biped looked at it. Magnetic accelerator rifle, 4 millimeter bore. The human hefted it in one hand. A little on the heavy side, multi-optic, hmm? The human held it back to Buxton, who took it clumsily. Serviceable. You should watch them practice targeting, overseer said. Men, take your places. Buxton and the others moved back up, putting their elbows on the flat surface. 
Load one magazine, the overseer sedated. Buxton was proud of himself. He didn't drop anything and got it loaded. The ruin for 30 popping up on the corner of his round flip-up screen. Engage your lane's targets, the overseer commanded. Buxton figured that the overseer meant to shoot, so he shot, counting the ten between shots. When he was done with the magazine, there was a yellow temperature ruin on the corner of the lens. Unload your weapon, step back to the wall in the correct position, the overseer stated. Buxton followed instructions. As you can see, my men are highly proficient with their weapons, the overseer said. Mm-hmm, the bribe pit said. It sounded like uncertainty to Buxton. 100% accuracy. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. It's perfect, the overseer said. My men do not miss. I see, the biped said. It reached into its pockets, taking out a small tube. The human twisted one end, making the other end flash, and he threw it halfway down the long room, between the holograms and the shooting booths. Do it again, the biped said. I must object, the overseer said. Objection logged and recorded. Do again. The biped said. The overseer's tendrils curled up and his jaw shook. He motioned at Vuxton and the others. Men, take your spaces. Vuxton did so. Load one magazine. This time the pop-up screen was different. It kept flashing an error rune. He could see the hologram. It kept jumping around like before, but rather the rune for locked was missing. Just flashing error over and over. Engage your lane targets, the overseer commanded. This time, the shots took longer, were more spaced out and more uncertain. Eventually, the last trigger was pulled and the room went silent. Buxton breathed a sigh of relief when the helmet let go of his ears. Unload your weapon, step back to the wall in the correct position. The overseer's voice sounded nervous to Buxton. Hmm, eleven hits total, overseer. I'm disappointed, the biped said. You did something with the tube, human, the overseer said. It's a standard personal electronic warfare device, the biped said, looking down at Vuxton as if he could see through the macroplastic face shield. Could your men, the overseer started to say. Clear the range, the human stated, turning and stepping forward into Vuxton's booth. Its hands went to the waist and he pulled out a heavy-looking black pistol. The human pointed the barrel straight up and bending his elbow at an incredible distance into the inside of his angle. Disengage smart link. One of the overseers fumbled with a box, finally looking up. Rage's reset, human. Set for variable distance moving pop-up targets, the human said. The overseer with the box looked doubtful but made the adjustments. Call it, the human said. Um, the overseer said. The pistol was leveled, firing rapidly. The slide kept running back, ejecting vapor. The human moved its hand back and forth, firing until suddenly the stud of magazine popped out the bottom before... It even hit the ground. The human had slapped a new one in and resumed firing. Five magazines. The human kept switching between targets. Each pull of the trigger, a bright silver actinic line connecting the barrel with the hologram. Buxton could see the plescrete puffing out in craters as big as his head and the building when some kind of energy screen flashed in sparks in the fifth shot. Finally, it ejected the first magazine into its hand. Tilting the pistol to check the inside before setting it on the desk, he bent down and picked up the four magazines on the floor, then stood up, placing the magazines next to the pistol. Score, range master, the human said. 885 out of 75 shots across 25 targets, the overseer stated. Keep the lanes clear, the human said. 
I put the pistol back in the holster when the magazine's upside down in his magazine pouches. The human lifted the flat surface and walked through, walking down the little cylinder and picking it up. It twisted the end and the light stopped blinking. He walked back, setting a tabletop down and then moving over to the overseers. You were saying? the human asked. You have a cybernetic eyes, the overseer stated. It doesn't count. The human lifted his shoulder and let them fall. If you insist, overseer, he, if it was a he, turned and looked at the gathered up janitorial staff against the wall. We have days at most until the precursor arrive, overseer, he said. I suggest you train your men. My men are highly trained, the overseer stated. By your standards, the human said and left. Buxton had thought that he'd seen the last of the human. He was wrong. V-Corps, old metal memo. Ensure all planetary military, defense, military, and other armed organizations, including corporation security, are prepared to resist precursor incursion with local weaponry. Port any defects to V-Corps Tradoc OIC. Nothing follows. To V-Corps Tradoc, from SVS Ulganga, Maynard Kekit, Turkonmul, Army, Old Metal. Local, planetary corporate security is poorly trained and armed for defense against precursor military types as well as precursor resource extraction reclamation standard types. Forces use magnetic auto-aim systems to an over-reliance. Local, mag auto-aim targeting system able to be jammed by personal privacy device, suggesting poor EW shielding. We'll try to cooperate with local planetary corporate security leaders, overseers, in an attempt to increase training and skill. Nothing follows. Kistimut Industrial Extraction Refining Manufacturing Corporation Memo All Kistimut Corporate Security Personnel of the third grade overseer and higher are prepared the attached listed names to help defend Shermanan from the supposed precursor attack. We shall show these Terrans that the Kistimut Corporation does not need to rely on some foreign government who seems to employ only predators for their military. The old metal should be shown who is dominant military and security in this galactic arm. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.